Genesis uh, 16, we've been uh, looking in uh, the life of Abram, and, uh, which uh, eventually will become Abraham here in a, in a couple chapters. Um, we've seen uh, kind of his, there's high points in his life where he's trusting God, and then there's these low points in his life where he just blew it. This is one of those examples in uh, Genesis 16 where he has just blown it. Uh, and we'll see how that all plays out here. Uh, but there was, uh, you know, a time in, in my life that I would, as I look back, you know, there's times like in Abram's life, there's high points in my life where, man, I'm walking with God and, and, and following God with, with all my heart. And then there's times where I, I just blow it. Uh, and, and there was one time in particular that relates to the scene here in, in Abram where, where, you know, sometimes we, we think we need to help God out a little bit. And so right after I was uh, final year in, in seminary, and, and of course, uh, as the graduation date approaches, you ask that question of, you know, what are, what are you going to do? You know, I'm no longer going to be a full-time student. I'm no longer going to be in school. Uh, and what's going to happen next? Uh, the, get a job and so forth. And so as uh, Marguerite and I, uh, of course, uh, we were praying and uh, we were living up in Massachusetts at the time, uh, we really just felt the Lord leading us to, to go out with uh, an organization called American Missionary Fellowship. And this was the plan, that we would eventually live in Providence, Rhode Island. We would start a, a, a planted church there in Providence, Rhode Island with uh, American Missionary Fellowship. And after seminary, we moved back to my parents' house uh, with the idea that because of American Missionary Fellowship, we had to raise our own uh, support uh, with uh, as a mission organization. So the idea was that we would move back to my parents' house uh, uh, in Union City there for three months. We would work on raising our support during the summertime. And then by September, uh, October, we would then move to Providence, Rhode Island. And we were so gung-ho and so certain that that is what what we were supposed to do, that we didn't bring anything back to Union City. We left, we went into a storage facility in Providence with all our stuff there. So we thought, five months, we're going to be there. So we moved back. Well, let's just say things did not turn out the way we thought. In fact, what happened was during those next three to four to five months, as we started talking to people, as we started sharing with people of, of this is what the, we believe the, the Lord was calling us to do, we actually killed a lot of relationships and hurt a lot of people during those five, past five months to the point where all of a sudden Lucas was about ready to be born and all of a sudden we're thinking, what in the world is happening? And we tried. We would go up to Providence, Rhode Island, we, would, we were actually looked at apartments in Providence, Rhode Island, uh, and, and had, uh, had discussions with, with people, tried to, uh, the mission organization said, hey, you know, you, you have 50% of your support raised, that's fantastic. You could move to Providence, Rhode Island, if, as long as you find a part-time job. And so I applied to jobs like crazy. And as it seemed like, those, those, especially those four to five, six months, it is the Lord just shut that door like crazy. 
And, be, and as, we, as we were going through that process again, we hurt a lot of people during that time. So then all of a sudden, Lucas is about ready to be born. This is like a, all of a sudden November rolls around, and we're thinking, okay, what are we going to do? We can't obviously continue to live at my parents' house as a family of three. Uh, they were ready to kick us out already. They throw a baby in the mix, that's a crazy and so Marguerite and I were like, well, I guess we're going to have to stick around Pennsylvania for a little bit longer than we anticipated. So we decided to go up to Rhode Island, pack all our stuff. At that point in time, all our stuff fit in a, one of those uh, U-Haul trailers. Now, you, if we ever, we ever move now, we're going to have, like, giant U-Haul trucks. Uh, That's why we're not moving uh, anytime soon, so... <laughs> But <laughs> still have a still have like a sixty year contract with you guys, right? Is that is that right? So, so it's a, it, <laughs> so you have a so you have that. We went up to Providence, moved all our stuff back, and and again we could not we like we no matter how hard we tried, we could not get that door open. And all of a sudden we were talking with uh, uh, the the uh, mission organization and said, listen, I just don't think Providence Rhode Island is going to work out. And they said, hey, that's okay. Where are you going to live in, in Pennsylvania? And we told them around Conneaut Lake area, the Lord opened the door. And this is interesting. It took us six months. You would think that, you think how thick my skull is here. It took us six months to, to learn everything that we tried to get to Providence Rhode Island was a, was a failure. And within a matter of weeks, when we came to the realization that the Lord wants us here in Pennsylvania for a little bit longer, matter of weeks, God opened the door for us to have an apartment. God opened the door for me to get a part-time job. God opened the door for me to start working with the mission organization there around Conneaut Lake because who knew that they had five churches out in, out in these small towns that they were connected with. And all that to say is, is all of a sudden, you know, sometimes we have this idea of, okay, this is what God has called us to do. And we have this idea of this is how God, this is how God's going to do it. And we make a mess out of it. And in a real sense, that's exactly what Marguerite and I did. And that's what Abram does here. We've been uh, going through these, uh, the life of Abram. And, and ever since Genesis chapter 12, you have this, this God's plan that he has here for Abram and for his, his family, for Sarai. And, and God's plan, and, and if you if you've noticed, there really evolves around these two promises that God keeps giving Abram over and over and over again. In fact, he tells these promises in chapter 15 so much, he's like, listen, stop doubting me. Stop wondering how this is all going to play out. I'm going to cut a covenant with you to know that you, you know that this, these two things are going to happen for sure. And you can count on it. And what is God's plan is these two things. Number one, I will make you into a great nation. At this point in time, Abram has no kids. Even in Genesis chapter 12, uh, Abram has no cares. Uh, Sarai, his wife, at that point in time, his only wife was barren. And God comes to him and says, listen, I'm going to, to make you into a great nation. In other words, I'm going to give you many, many, many descendants. 
And that's what that understanding of great nation is referring to. And he's told them numerous times, as numerous as the dust of the earth, that's what your descendants are going to be. Genesis chapter 15, go out to the stars, look at the stars. Can you count the stars? And of course, no one can count the stars. Even modern day scientists can't even count the stars. And he says, that's how numerous your descendants are going to be. And so God's number one promise is, I will make you into a great nation, a numerous nation with many, many descendants. But there's also the second promise. Number two, your descendants will inherit the land of Canaan. Your descendants will inherit the land of Canaan. Now, chapter 15, uh, God uh, tells Abram at that point in time, listen, you're going to die in peace, and you're not going to own this land. Because your descendants are going to go down and be a servant to another nation. And for 400 years, they're going to live away from this land. And then I'm going to bring them back. And then I will give them this land to them. That's why we call it the promised land. Because God promised Abram that this land would be to his descendants. So that's God's plan. Then we get to the Genesis chapter 16. And you realize that Sarah's had her, her own plan of how this was going to come out. And Abram went along with Sarah's plan and made a mess of everything. Verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Again, the, the, you, you see that. This is the, uh, numerous times in, in these, these sections of Genesis, we are told that over and over again, that, that Sarah was barren, that, that Sarah had not borne any children to, to Abram. And he had, she had no children. Now what's interesting is when you get down to, to verse 2, she blames God for this. In fact, she says this. Let me read it. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. And so what Sarah comes to Abram and pretty much says this. It's the Lord's fault. Why, I'm not, why I am childless. This is all God's fault. Now, is it really the Lord's fault? Who knows? I mean, we do know that uh, what's going to happen here, that that gets part of God's plan for, for Sarai to bear, bear a son, and that's uh, Isaac later on, we are, we are told. But in her mind, the reason why, and again, children in that day and age, was they were considered a blessing. The more children you had, the, the greater wealth you had. Nowadays, uh, my family, uh, we, we have four kids. In American culture nowadays, it's shifted so much that we are considered a large family. But many of you grew up in even larger families with like 10, 12, 13 kids. And the mentality back then was, you know, the more kids you had, the, 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 the more help you had on the farm, the, the, greater, the, the greater the blessings were. And that was the, this mentality even in Genesis here. And so if a person could not have any kids, the mentality was that, that they were cursed of God. And that's why Sarah says, this is God's fault. The reason why I don't have any kids is because of God's fault. So here's the plan. This is her plan. It may sound a little strange to us, but this was just the, the culture of what 
happen in that day. So the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So please go into my maid, Hagar. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. That was the, that was the culture of the day. Is Sarai had a, a servant named Hagar. And Sarah said, here, why don't we follow the culture? I can't have any kids for one reason or another. And she was way past childbearing age at this point in time. Uh, I can't have the kids. Well, uh, so take my, my servant here, and, and maybe she can have a child for me. Perhaps I can obtain children by her. So it's the Lord's fault why I am childless. So take my servant, Hagar. Perhaps I may have children by her. So what's Abram's response? End of verse 2. Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. He followed her instructions. He said, yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Why not? Nothing else, have, have, nothing else that we've done have, have tried to work. Yeah, maybe, maybe uh, this is God's plan all along. You know, God has promised I'm supposed to have many descendants. I'm supposed to have, that my descendants are supposed to have this land. I don't have any descendants. So, yeah, you know, let's try it. See what happens. And he followed her instructions. Verse, uh, verse 3. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. The reason why, so now Abram all of a sudden now has two wives, and, and I'm not going to get into too much details of why Hagar becomes, uh, uh, if you want to know why that is, scripturally speaking, is because of, of what the, is happening here uh, in the Bible's view of, of that. So, if you want to know more details, you can come talk to me. <laughs> and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. The, Abram had dwelt in the land for about 10 years now. Now, how do we know that this was not God's plan? How do we know that, this, that, God, that God wasn't very pleased with this? Because Moses lets us in, and, and, how, and you see the highlighted parts of these of verse 3. This is the, the, almost the identical wording, exact wording of what's happening in Genesis chapter 3, of when Eve eats forbidden fruit. In fact, listen to, I have there Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And here, here it is. When the woman saw that the tree was good for fruit, that it was pleasing to the eyes, and the tree desired to make it one wise, she took of its fruit. And what did Sarai do? She took Hagar, gave it to her Eve, gave it to her husband. What did Sarai do? Gave Hagar to Adam. And he, Genesis 3, and he ate it. Genesis 16, he, he uh, made him, her, Hagar, his, his wife. And so the language here that, that Moses is writing this with shows us that this was not God's plan at all. This is, this is screwed up here, Adam, Abram, here. You, you uh, disobey God. And, and if that wouldn't be enough, this is the exact same wording as when we saw in, in, uh, at the end of verse 2, where Abram heeded or listened to his wife's instructions is the exact same thing that God calls Abram out 
uh, saw Adam out in Genesis 3.17. Then he said to Adam, he said, because you have heeded, it's the same word, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, you're now, the land's going to be cursed. And it's not, the when Moses is writing this and writing this, he, he's using the same language to give the reader instruction to be like, yeah, this isn't what God originally intended. Just as God kind of called out Adam and said, listen, this is wrong. This is sin. This is, you're walking in disobedience. He's using the same language in 16 to say, say, Abram, this is wrong. This is disobedience. This is sin, what you're doing here. This is not good. You're going to make a mess. And as we'll see here, that's exactly what happens. And so, the results. What happened? Verse 4. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Hagar was disrespectful to Sarai after becoming pregnant. That's what the understanding despised meant. And we don't know exactly what happened. We just know that, that Hagar found out uh, after, after that time with, uh, with uh, Abram that she, she was pregnant. And, and probably what the conversation between Hagar and Sarai probably went like this. Whoa, look at this. You, you, something's wrong with you because at that point in time you, they know, hey, it's, it's not Abram that can't have kids. It's Sarai that can't have kids. And again, the mentality is if you are barren, if you can't have kids in, in the Old Testament at this point in time, the mentality is you are cursed of God. Now, nowadays, that's not the case. But that's the understanding here in Sarah. And so Hagar probably threw some of that insults back into her face. And Sarah, Sarah is like, listen, I'm your master. I, you're my servant, and you're being disrespectful to me. So then Sarah comes to Abram and says, well, you know, you're, this servant, my servant Hagar, she is uh, being disrespectful. She's not wanting to do anything that I say anymore. And so Abram says, listen, you deal with it. This is your problem. It was your plan. You deal with it. And so what does she do? She treats, she treats Hagar with, in a, a harsh way is what the, um, indeed your maid is in your hands. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. And so, Hagar runs away. And when you read the rest of the verses uh, there, you realize that Hagar is an Egyptian, and she is heading back to Egypt. So, Hagar runs away and heads back to Egypt. And as she stops at this well, she has a conversation with the angel of the Lord. And that's important to realize, and we'll talk about this, who is exactly this angel of the Lord. But she frees and runs away and has this conversation with the angel of the Lord. Verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, and then she's heading back to Egypt. She's there in, in the wilderness. You'll see, and especially in the, your translations, if you're following along in the translation up on the screen, they capitalize angel as big A, capital A. And it's not a angel, it is the angel of the Lord. And the reason why this is important is because of what the angel of the Lord says and, and the identity of this person. So the angel of the Lord found her by, by the spring. 
Uh, let's jump even verse 9. The angel of the, the Lord says to her this. So there's this conversation that's going on. It's like, hey, or where are you going? She said, well, I'm running away from my servant. The angel of the Lord says, no, go back to your, go back to your uh, master, Sarai. Submit to her. In other words, don't be disrespectful to her anymore. Submit to her, because I have a plan. And this is where we start getting into who is the capital A angel of the Lord. Listen to what verse 10 says. The angel of the Lord says to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Who gave that same promise to Abram? God did. Verse 10, the angel of the Lord doesn't say, hey, the Lord is going to do it. He says, I. And whenever you read your Bibles and whenever you see uh, the capital A, angel of the Lord, not the little case angel, capital A, angel of the Lord, is referring to God himself. In fact, the angel of the Lord, and you'll see him jumping in and out uh, here and uh, having a conversation with Hagar. He also has a conversation with Joshua right before they enter into, into the land. And he jumps in and out numerous times. This, this is probably, knock your socks off here, but this is probably what we call a pre-incarnate Jesus appearing to Hagar here. This is God himself appearing to Hagar. And saying, I am going to do this. God extends the promise of a great nation to Hagar's son. Yes, Abram screwed up. And we, we've seen that. And this was not a part originally part of God's plan. But because of his God's promise to Abram, and because of uh, the Hagar's son is going to be Abram's son. God says, I will bless your son. I will extend that same promise that I gave to Abram to, to, to his son, to the child of the promise. I will give that same promise to your son, that I will make him into a great nation. Uh, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. In other words, I will make him a great nation as well. It's not your fault, Hagar, that you're put in this situation. But I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your son. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord says to her, Behold, you are with child. You shall bear a son. In other words, uh, here's one of the first times where all of a sudden uh, God himself is, is telling and talking to Hagar and saying, listen, right now you're pregnant. And that day and night, they didn't have sonograms. They didn't know exactly uh, what the, the, the sex of the child was until the, the baby was born. And, and, and here you have God telling Hagar, you're going to have a son. And also one of the first times where God says, you are to name your son a certain name. And here God says, you are to name your son Ishmael. Why? Names in the Bible are very important. They mean something, and this is what Ishmael means. God hears. The Lord has heard your affliction. The Lord has heard your affliction. And so God himself comes to Hagar and says, listen, this is what I want you to do. I know you're in a tough situation. I know this, you, this is not the life that you picked. I understand that. So I'm going to extend the same promise to your, your descendants. I'm going to make you a great nation. 
but you are to name your son Ishmael because God has heard your cry. Just as later on we'll find God telling Abram and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, Sarah at that point in time, to name their son Isaac because they laughed in the face of God. And every time, every time they looked and called their son's name, they were to be reminded that you laughed at God and here it, and here's the child of the promise. God tells Hagar, every time you call your son Ishmael, you will be reminded that God heard your cry. We need to be reminded of that too, don't we? When we go to God, God hears us. Even on those prayers underneath our breast where we're like, oh dear Lord, help me. God hears us. The Lord has heard you in your affliction. And so what happens? Well, a little bit more about Ishmael. He does grow up to be a great nation. He does live actually around in, in that area that the, 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 um, where she's at even right now, kind of in between uh, Egypt and, and the, the promised land. He was going to be, uh, grow up to be a wild man. Uh, his uh, hand shall be against every man. He's going to be a, a warring person. He, uh, he is going to dwell in, his, in the presence of his, his brethren, but he is going to be at war with them. A lot of the Ishmaelites are still descendants of Ishmaelites uh, today, and they are still living in that northern part of Africa. And you think about that northern part of Africa and what's happening. Verse 13, then she called the name of the Lord. And so she had this encounter with the Lord, and she recognized that it was the Lord. It wasn't just some a angel. This was God himself that had appeared to her. And so she sees that and recognizes that and says, this is the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. In other words, you're not blind, you're not deaf, you're not, you're, you are active. You are the God who sees. In fact, she names the well that she was at that, uh, that place, Bear Lahore Roy, meaning you are the God who sees. You have seen me. You're not, you didn't turn your back on me, you have seen me. And Moses says, oh, fact, you can, do, you can go and visit that same well when Moses was around. So, what happens? Verse 15, Hagar bore Abraham a son. It's interesting is this. Moses, again, as he is writing this, and as he is, he is using this language, and we'll see this in verse 15. Sarai's plan was this. I'm going to give Hagar to Abram, and maybe she can bear children for me. Verse 15 clearly tells us this is not, has nothing to do with, Ishmael has nothing to do with Sarah. And if you don't get that, all you got to do is count how many times Hagar's name appears in these two verses. And Sarah's name appears Zippo. Verse 15, so Hagar, not Sarai, Hagar bore Abraham a son. And Abram named his son whom Hagar bore, just in case you didn't get the first time, Hagar bore this son, not Sarai. Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when who? Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. In other words, this is not God's plan for those two promises. Sarah and Abram, they tried to help God out. And they made a mess. In fact, rest of the Old Testament, you see that that even against 
Isaac's descendants and Ishmael's descendants, they are fighting with each other and they are warring with each other. And you can say even today you see that they are fighting with each other and they are warring with each other. And they made a, Sarai and Abram made a mess trying to help God out. But just as I've explained like Marguerite and I, we, we try to help God out sometimes even in our own lives, don't we? We think, God, this is what I, I this is what you called us to do. But we may don't like the time the way God we're, we're waiting. We don't maybe like the time the, the how God does things. We don't maybe like the, the, the process. And so we try to help God out, just as Sarai did here, and we blow the whole thing up. This is a tough question, but one that we need to see. Why do we think we are smarter than God? Why do we think in our own lives that we know what's best for ourselves when in reality we don't got a clue? Why do we think we are smarter than God and that He needs our help to bring about His promises? Or He needs our help to bring about His will in our lives? Why do we think we know what's best for ourselves when, when God is the only one that really does. Here's the question even beyond that. How should have, how should have Abram, what should have Abram done? When Sarai comes and says, hey, you know what, I'm barren. I'm way past the child age at this point in time. Uh, she was probably like 75 years old. Uh, she, she's, she's way past the childbearing age. And, and she's like, hey, you know what? God has given you these, these two promises, but I just don't see how they're going to happen. So, so let's do our plan instead. What should have Abram done instead? Number one, he should have said, Sarai, I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to trust in God. God cut a covenant. God said these things are going to happen. I don't understand this, but I don't think trying our own methods is going to work out too well. I want to trust God. Don't you know? Don't you remember a few years ago how how we went down to to Egypt and that whole scenario played out, and how Pharaoh took you to be almost took you to be his wife, and 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 God had to intervene. Don't you know? Don't you recognize that? I don't know how this is going to play out, but we need to pause and we need to just say, God's in control. And we need to just trust Him. Secondly, he needed to wait on God's time. But the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes, and this is so difficult, even for myself, it's so difficult as American followers of Jesus. Because we want everything now. We want everything instantly. We're that microwave generation. It may not be good, but we got it. They were tried putting a steak in the microwave, but it does not work out too well. You may be able to eat it in 10 minutes, but it is shoe leather. It does not taste good. We need to wait on God's time. God's perfect time. Because this some of the lessons that Marguerite and I have learned when we, when I, as I told you that story, some of those life lessons we have learned was this. When it is God's timing, when it's not God's timing, you can do everything. You can butt your head up, but you can just feel like you're going, going, going against a brick wall, and there's nothing you can do to move it when God says no. 
But when it is God's perfect timing, the door is open. And it is, those were some of the most humbling years. But looking back over the past, it's hard to believe that I graduated from seminary uh, uh, close to uh, um, 13 years ago. But to be able to, those past 13, realizing just how God has worked in some of the most uh, wonderful years of our lives. Because we waited on God's perfect timing. Isaiah, we, we love these verses in Isaiah. Usually we quote them. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. In other words, you know, you, what, you think is, what you think your life should look like, it may not be God's will. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to be like Abram. We need to trust in God. And we, we need to wait on God's timing, because when we don't, we can blow up the situation and make a mess. Trust in God. Be still and know. Wait upon God's perfect time.